Welcome to Mark Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and try to elevate the conversation. I'm Andrew Peak, and with me today is just Becca. Hi. <laughs> we're here. That is, I need to like put pauses in there because that's a long intro. I don't know how Kevin does it on what seems like one breath. That was right? one breath for me and I might pass out. So yeah, <laughs> let's get, let's get going. So how has your week been? Any, any Ooh. fun stories for us? Um, I don't have any specific stories, but it's been quite busy. You know, it's that time of year where everybody's trying to wrap up their, sell their inventory homes and get all their end of year promotions. Up get them close. Yeah. People yeah. like to move around Christmas time. I think <laughs> it's definitely a challenge to, to try to get those out, but it does seem like they are just flying off the shelves, which is awesome. Yeah. Awesome sure to hear. Does. Good stuff. Well, over here in uh, Tampa, Florida at the Peak House, we have had part two of, of the, uh, the painter warranty. What do we call it? Warranty woes, I think on the last, last episode. Oh, no. So I won't do like the whole, I could talk like for an hour about it. So I'll, I'll do the quickly, the quick uh, version of it. Essentially what it, Boiled down to painter came back. It's like, hey, there's some things I missed. Let's get it knocked out real quick. We're like, okay, cool. Like, so here's this one that you said is done. It's not done. And this is us interacting with the painter directly. Oh. Super weak, uncomfortable, like calling him out on things that we don't think are done. And he said, like, this is the way it is. The wall's crooked. The window's in there crooked. That's the caulk. I can't do anything about that. Da 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 da. da. We're just going around in circles. So we're like, okay, let's call the the warranty person that's our contact. And so we talked to him for a second. And this is all why the painter's here, like kind of just sitting in the house. We call the great warranty person. He's like, hey, I'm actually in your neighborhood. I'll be there in five minutes. Sweet. He gets there. I know it's perfect timing. We're like, this would have been terrible because I'm like, I don't want you to do anything because what you think is correct is not what we think is correct. We don't yeah. know what is correct. All we know is like, this doesn't look right in the, you know, And the you have to person. live there. Yeah, and we have to live there and, you know, <laughs> All this stuff. So the bottom line, uh, as far as like, you know, fast forwarding, like an hour and a half of, of dealing with this was it really came down to what is the expectation? Like we didn't know, like what, what is the standard? Should there be paint on the window frame? I say that kind of like a, a smart, but like, obviously there should not be paint on the window frame when it's a white window frame and gray on gray walls. But you know, there's def- there's a, you know, it, it can't be, it's yeah. not going to be perfect, but yeah. what, how much imperfection can there be? And so he went around, he taped parts that needed to be fixed. And it was still quite a bit that like things he caught that we were like, oh, did not even see that there. But really it came down <laughs> to like the education on our part that yeah. would have made the situation much easier to deal with and not a negative story. Like if you would have spoken to myself or Lindsay within that day about it, oh my goodness, we were, we were like, this is insane. Like I literally could do a better job than this painter did. And this is his profession like what what in the world like this makes no sense and then like we were done and then that night i was in the over in the bathroom just cleaning up and i'm like okay is this still wet over here and then he ended up using the wrong color in the bathroom like oh my goodness this is crazy i'm done like i'm so i ran into that a lot when i worked for a builder and one of the ways that i decided we needed to deal with it was to have a video with one of the warranty people good idea and so i got the video camera out and i convinced the warranty tech to walk a house like she was going to walk a house Mm -hmm. like she does all the time i'm sure yeah and i said okay so show me how i'm supposed to look to see if the paint is right 
and explain the conditions. So she did that. And then all of a sudden, once we started educating people, our warranty problems with paint got a little less. Nice. Or at least they're when they're talking to you, they're probably more more yeah. reasonable and they already know yeah. like, hey, I know I watched the video. I listened to the podcast or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And here's what I should expect versus like this person who he, <laughs> I mean, he works for every builder, this painter that came in. He's like, yeah, this is a Horton home, right? We're like, no, it's with KB. And he's like, oh, well, you know, Horton does it this way. We're like, no. at this point we were over it. We're like, we don't care what Horton does. Like, what does it have to do with our home right now? Like that, that's nothing. Yeah. What are you talking about? But yeah, yeah. I, I guess it is education. That's a good idea as far as creating a video on those more yeah. common warranty things. I'm sure paint is like every, every home. Mm. I can't imagine that it's not oh, yeah. every home. So, all right, well, let's go on to some news. But before news, remember, we have the call on number, leave Ooh. a voicemail with questions, comments on any of the episodes, really anything. If you want to call in and have any conversation or question, give us a call 404-369-2595. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the radio talking about that. Yeah. There's no, there's no money to give away or maybe I don't know, maybe Ooh. we need to incentivize like a shirt or something. Oh, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Call in, get a shirt. I will make that executive decision. Call in, <laughs> you get a shirt. All right. The first one it. is Facebook has a new name. Did you see this article and you were super confused like I was two days ago? Yeah. I was kind of like, um, it's like but Facebook. it's still Facebook. Yeah. Facebook's name <laughs> is Facebook. And it's still super confusing. And really, it's just the logo. But, you know, they own but, Instagram, WhatsApp, and a whole... And Facebook. So Facebook owns Facebook. They're just separating it. Where They're it's having different like a, names. a parent company called Facebook that owns Correct. Facebook, the app. Yeah. Like, so and, from Facebook will be on yeah. the apps versus versus yeah. nothing. Versus like what it, Google used, Alphabet is their parent yes. company name. Yes. It was yeah. just totally random Alphabet. It's almost like, I feel like that was a play on, you know, Amazon has everything from A to Z. And then in their logo, they have the arrow A to Z which oh, looks like the smiling yeah. box. Alphabet sure could does. be, you know, the same type, everything A to Z, but this is from, from Facebook. I thought that was, I'm sure people saw that and are like, what is this like some like hoax article? Is this real? Is this not real? It's like, yes, it is I real. I kind of like the new logo. It is nice. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> serif fonts. You don't really see, what's that? No, sans serif. What's the word? Yeah. Typography. Sans. So without, you don't ever see serif font. Which is interesting. This is not yeah. Seraphon, but no. I'm like, okay. It's sans. It is. But sans. I like that it changes color to all of the colors from Facebook to Instagram to WhatsApp. I do like it. How are you on uh, random? But it'd be interesting that we should get a, a poll on the Instagram group of, not the Instagram group, but Facebook group, if anybody is using TikTok, because that's come up in conversations just asking about it. And yeah. I downloaded it the other day. Just to be like, okay, I need to know what this is. Like Gary Vaynerchuk talking about it. Not that you should do everything that Gary V says because he has his own agenda, different, you know, totally different, different market and everything. Yeah. But I downloaded it. I'm like, this is, this is interesting. I'm not sold on it yet. As far as you even using it as like my own personal, personal yeah. use. I think I made, I'm I made not, you download it yesterday. Sold. Yeah, I did download <laughs> it and I looked at it. I'm not sold on it, but do see that there are lots of videos. I guess I'm trying to find where is it different enough from Facebook or, or I guess really how's it different from Instagram enough, except I feel like navigation is completely different. I think that's what bothers me is that for me in the however many minutes I've spent 
seemed like there was completely non-existent navigation. Yeah, it's it's super weird. It is it's weird, but maybe I just need to use it more. I'm I'm getting too old. Yeah. I think that might be what it is. Uh, what does that What does that mean for me? Oh no, you're young. I'm older. <laughs> you are older. <laughs> All right, on to the <laughs> on to the next one. We won't get into that. You can't. On that no, note, we don't have numbers that high here. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, so, ooh, Becca, you found this one. But yes. Facebook is going to limit the number of ads pages can run simultaneously. And this is from marketingland.com. Uh, before yes. we started recording, we kind of had some ideas on why Facebook would limit the number of ads a single page can run. What do you think about this, Becca? So, I think it's probably easier to fact check if you've got. A certain number of ads. Let me try to pull the exact number up because it's not a number that any of us should be really concerned about. Ninety-nine percent sure it's it's in the thousands. It is quite oh, a yeah. bit. Like it, it's not even. Yeah, it's no. Some they basically number. suggested that perhaps some advertisers are just using so many ads that none of them are actually getting enough airtime to be useful. Oh, gotcha. And here, yeah, here we go. With too many ads running at the same time, fewer ads exit the learning phase and more budget is spent before the delivery system can optimize an ad's performance. So this is geared towards people who might be using a, but one of the ad creation platforms that lets you create thousands of ads and ad sets with the click of a button. And if, I don't know if anyone remembers back to, uh, we talked about it, maybe like one of the very first episodes, but we, we touched on Trump's campaign, his Facebook ads versus um, Hillary's Facebook ads and how they're different. And there's this big, I think it was CNN had this interview with the digital marketer. I actually think he's oh, the campaign manager. And yeah, in 2016, he was a digital media director. This year, he's now the campaign manager for, uh, for Donald Trump, Brad Parscale, if you want to look him up. But he had this interview where they talked about how they created thousands and thousands, and thousands of variations on ads that they were delivering based on data that you know people shouldn't have had so this goes back to like all the privacy things yeah so like if you were xyz 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 here's this ad that might be for you that has this type of person in it etc all these things they they probably shouldn't have done but we're in this gray area that facebook allowed so this would probably prevent a lot of that which is which is really interesting just with the timeliness of elections and like is it related to that is it really related to the learning phase like what are they trying to prevent i think probably both but we don't have to worry about it too much. I don't think. I think the other thing is now the AI is so good that we are able to create a message that is relevant to the person who sees it. And then the, we can, or the AI gets that message out to everybody who kind of looks like, or who has the same behaviors. Yep. So you're, you're saying person, we, yeah. we probably don't need that many variations on ads and we've tested like a single image ad versus a collage versus you know two three four five different images and when they're close like it's pretty much the same performance and it's like well that was a cool exercise we did with no no benefit so i'm I'm talking right yeah same copy but then like (laughs) two or three different images that were created and they're within pennies of each other like pretty much the same thing and even more so now we have like the ad copy limits where it shows you know three lines essentially at the top. So if you had yeah. fancy copy underneath that, like really, really have that big of an, of an influence, probably not. Mm, probably um, not. Yeah. Not unless what you write in the first three lines gets you 
people to click more. That's true. And if you're advertising for a market, like you wouldn't want to leave out certain things like the market's right. name and then the, the price range and what your you know, product place and yeah. price, you, you would want to keep those in there. So it's like, how many different ways can say new homes in Tampa from the XYZ in the first three lines like that show up? With pretty pictures. With pretty pictures. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. That's a fun one. All right, this next one, this is a real short one, but I saw this. So UPS and CVS deliver prescription medicine via drone to U.S. residential customers for the first time. I have so many questions It's creepy. It's like the Jetsons going on. I don't know how they will verify that. Like, Yeah, like one, how do you navigate the airspace? Like, do you drive over the roads? Like, or do you just fly as birds fly and you have to go through different airspace categories? Like. There's so many things. Oh, like that. Could you imagine, like, you're, you'd see the CVS at the corner and you have drone after drone, like, in this flight pattern. Just they go north 45 yeah. degrees and they turn southwest and they, it'd be, yeah, it'd be really interesting. Because I don't know that you could throw up a drone legally where you live because you're so close to the Tampa space. We, airspace. yeah, it's a, it's a bit down here because we have McDill, yeah. huge military base with lots of important I, things and, Lots of air, yeah. lots and lots of airports. Yeah. And we have a lot of, because we're older, a lot of overhead power lines, like on every major road um, and within yeah. communities. Um, only the, the newer ones have them underground. So I'd imagine, so they built in, let's see, this was in Cary, North Carolina. A lot of new construction yeah. up there. I'd imagine that they're like segmenting, like we are only in this zip code or maybe not even a zip code. This um, blocks from the maybe, home but- as far as this test period. It's interesting. They're dropping yeah. the packages from 20 feet above the house, like above the ground. And just- then like, I think about, you know, HIPAA and like, how do you get your, make sure your prescription's the right prescription and it gets to the right person. Oh, and- that could be awkward. Yeah. It seems like a nightmare to me. That's yeah. It, it, uh, <laughs> yeah. I see both sides. But also really cool at the same time. Well, it goes along like- with, so it was it a couple of weeks. I'm like, Oh, shipped is amazing. Like, with Target, you could just like click your phone, look it up, hit the button. Like I could order what yeah. I need for dinner right now on the podcast if I could think and, and shop at the same time, which I can't. And then like by five o'clock, <laughs> like everything I need for dinner will be at the door, like with someone right there. Yeah. Like that's, that's awesome, which seems like, oh yeah, it's delivery, but it's, it's quick. It's something that's a necessity versus like, oh, I'm buying like a jacket on Amazon because it's going to be cold sometime in the future down here in Florida, I hope. Once, once. Yeah, but I, th- One I time. think could this change like land? I, I, I think that's where my mind goes and all these things that that reduce the need to drive somewhere. Like could that change yeah. where land is being developed? Because if you don't, like if more people are working remotely, they don't need to drive as much. Like they could have this, like I think eventually instead of a individual from Target, from ship dropping off something that's going to be a, a little smart car. That's, you know, that's a, an autonomous yes. vehicle and just, boop. yeah. So if you don't have to worry about the distance things are as much, I think that could open up like, Oh, here's this. It, it could be even more so like about these amazing communities versus like the city in which they're built, which is, yeah, yeah. that's, that's very really interesting. All right. Next one. We're just knocking them out. This one here from Search Engine Land. Sounds like a clickbait article here. Let's kill the hourly rate. We're leaving money on the table. So this one I thought was interesting because it is written for the agency. 
versus for the the client or or if you're the builder for the builder as far as if you're hiring a vendor or agency to help you with your marketing this is for that agency you would be hiring and it pretty much goes through different billing types hourly pros and cons percent of spend monthly retainer performance based or like a mixed model and i just thought it was interesting as far as like getting that quote insider knowledge or inside scoop as far as like what agencies could be thinking if they build all all these different ways what did you get out of it because you have been on that end where you you work with the vendor I've never been on that side. Yeah. I've just always been the been so, the agency or been the the group, the the partner. So sitting on the partner side, hourly, I don't love because there's no incentive to get faster at things. And oftentimes you end up like asking an agency to learn something for you and you're paying them every hour that they're working on it to learn something. And imagine there'd be some type of like, this will take me like four hours to do likely or something around four hours, which seems like, yeah, that seems weird to have that inserted into the conversation like frequently. Like it just makes a transactional feeling versus like, yeah, we got that. We're your your people. But I definitely like hourly better than I like percent of spend. Yeah, percent of spend. I never, that one... For sure, old school. Um, way back in <laughs> the day, I worked school. with, worked, I contracted with agencies that did that. This, this is going way back. And it was always like this weird thing where I would always get from like the client director. And this is like agency speak. So you have like all these different levels. They're like, hey, anything we could do yeah. to get the spend up? I'm like, no, they're good. Right? But it's like, w- what's the motive? Like, is it a good thing? It seems like a conflict of it does. interest. It does. Because yeah. what if, yeah, they might bill yeah. different percent of spend for AdWords versus Facebook. They might, yeah. I, I remember talking with someone where like, if you're like, hey, it's a thousand dollar budget, the budget would be a thousand, but then they would tack on. So it wouldn't be like, you. I've seen it both ways. Oh. So like, here's a thousand dollar budget, which really yeah. means your budget is $900. So like if it's 10% or, or whatever number it may be, they <laughs> take their fee out of it yeah. and some will add, the, add it on top of it. So it's weird. Mm, I don't. It's, it's really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely don't like that one. It's interesting like, seeing their perspective like, on the month retainer, charge a fix or flat, like flat monthly fee for the work that was agreed upon in the contract and proposal. Yeah, I like that. one. Yeah, that seems quite simple. Their con um, on that one is scope creep can increase the workload, yet it can be harder to increase that monthly fee. So this is all again for the agency. So it's like, what is the yeah. risk as far as doing that one? Um, performance based. We do not see that very much in in the builder world, definitely more in e-commerce or like, I don't, I guess, true lead gen. Like if you're um, generating like mortgage leads or something for a, a mortgage office broker or something like mm-hmm. that, you might see where it's like cost per lead, cost per, like you're billing that. And then it's those contracts. I've seen a few of those. They're very, they, they're very strict because you could, you have to define a lead. Like, cause if they're paying per lead, then it gets super complex. Well, this wasn't a good person. It, it just gets really, yeah, area. it's really muddy. Yeah. I've never run into that one as yep. a builder. Or like a percent of, of revenue. Like if you grew the company from 5 million a month revenue to 6 million, you get a percent of the growth, but then you have to define yeah. a margin. It's, it's, it's really weird. The mixed model, of course, mm. something of, of everything in there. Or a couple, a of, couple them. of them. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that will do mm. it for the news. 
Next up, our guest this week is Ryan Snar, Director of Marketing for Destination Homes in Salt Lake City, Utah. He talks community design, garage mahal, and making lemonade out of lemons. Welcome, everybody. We have Ryan Snar from Destination Homes in amazingly beautiful Salt Lake, Utah. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, it's good to be here. And Salt Lake is amazingly beautiful. You hit it on the head. Is this like the perfect time of year to visit if you don't want to ski and snowboard and all that? I think so. Yeah, the fall, we've got great colors. All the trees have changed colors and, uh, you know, leaves sort of you know, not all falling off the trees at this point. So yeah, it's a great time to visit. Jealous. I remember when I first went to Salt Lake, I was visiting a gentleman named Joe Salisbury, who was the, he still works for DAI, I believe, a a large land development company out there, but he was running a home building company. And I mean, it is a unique place in that anywhere you look, if you're in the city, like it's, it's like you're surrounded by mountains on 340 degrees or 320 degrees. Yeah. Wow. somewhat claustrophobic if you were like really claustrophobic kind of individual i could imagine like you might feel i love it out there yeah it's one of the great things about the mountains is that you can always tell which way is north so when i was out in columbus visiting (laughs) with you uh, a year or two ago you know i have no idea which way i'm i'm facing (laughs) at all but you know you you know the wasatch mountains are in the east and the lake is on the west and you know north and south are pretty straightforward at that point so yeah well, Ryan is the director of marketing for Destination, and just give everyone a quick background about the company, um, and then we'll talk more about your origin story. But but give us context of who Destination is and what you guys do well. Yeah, you bet. So Destination Home started in the early two thousands, and two best friends started the company. They were neighbors growing up, and one of the owners, one of these guys, uh, was actually the older brother of my best friend growing up. And so he's, he's quite a bit older. He's about 10 years older than, than we are, but every now and again, we'd see him and, you know, he'd take us to the lake to, you know, go out on his wave runners or whatever and all that kind of thing. So I had this kind of, you know, relationship through the family. And when I was wrapping up, you know, my schooling, they were uh, starting destination homes. So right about the time I was graduating, but they had started the company with the idea to just grow and be a really prominent builder here in Utah. And that's what they did in the first five years. They grew the company to be one of the top 10 builders in the state. And, you know, as the momentum kept going, they were thinking, well, do we want to be number one? Is that a great goal? And and then, of course, in the uh, 2008, 2009 era during the downturn, that forced them to think, quite a bit about what they wanted to do and some of the challenges that they were experiencing. So the goal went from, you know, kind of being number one in the state to just doing what they really, really loved doing, which wasn't just pounding out a ton of homes, just Mm -hmm. in whatever corner of the the Wasatch front here. It was just building the right kind of homes um, that they really, really were proud of as far as the architecture and the overall design of the community. So after the downturn in the market, the company resurfaced kind of as a, a brand new company that just focused on uh, doing some some really great designs that lended themselves 
to some really well-designed communities that uh, was just paying attention to some details that that weren't necessarily top of mind before when they were just trying to... I remember talking to you about this early on when I was saying, okay, tell me what Destination is about, why you guys exist, what makes you different. And architecture was was clearly one of those first things that that we discussed. And what's interesting is the consumer doesn't always appreciate that to the financial impact that that has on purchase price, right? Yeah. <laughs> so your homes are stunning, the neighborhoods are stunning, and yet you have this challenge of oftentimes being the more expensive option for something that at the end of the day, black. so how do you make that interesting and communicate that to buyers and make them care when maybe they didn't out of the gate? And I think that's an interesting, unique challenge that you have yeah, it is. It is a challenge. It is kind of a, a premium offering that we have. And quite honestly, to be able to sit down with someone and just talk about these really, really small details in architecture and in community design, you realize that the small details add up to make huge changes within the life of a community. You can drive through communities here along the Wasatch Front, just near Salt Lake, and you can kind of see new communities that are popping up. And after 10, 12, 15 years, you know, like some of those communities you just kind of know will will change and not necessarily for the better. They won't improve with time if, if right. that's a good way to... Gotcha. Um, I will say, I'll go even one step further, Ryan. When I was out there with you, I remember driving by some communities where I thought, even the style of the house, just generally speaking, it was like they dropped it from Columbus, Ohio there and just didn't bother changing or adjusting or, or being, I mean, you got a very unique and specific culture and style and uh-huh. just everything about that area is, is so different that it just seemed like a lot of the, the larger builders seem somewhat oblivious there. So I think it's a smart branding and strategic move that you're making, but it does make your job a little bit harder sometimes. Yeah, it does. And when we have the chance to uh, communicate with people directly or, or just kind of fuse in some of these ideas of outdoor living spaces that are, you know, essentially just extra square footage for your house that connect you with the world around you, like that's a huge selling point. I really like to talk about some of the community details that really matter. There's some communities near my house, for example, that have employed speed bumps to minimize the speed of traffic. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine a, a worse idea. Um, <laughs> nobody likes them. And obviously they have right. a job to do and they do it. But, you know, I've lost mufflers before trying to go over those without um, <laughs> you know, slowing down as much as I should have probably. Yep. And one of the things that you can change in a community just with the design is the width of a street because people will drive slower if the street isn't as wide. And there's, there's some advantages to the, the home buyers or the homeowners that live on that street when the traffic is slower because that affects the safety. So if they've got young kids or whatever, you're going to want them to drive slower. Also, one of the, the things that I never would have guessed on my own, but our main architect was talking to us about just the radius of the corners in your community. If it's a really, really wide radius, people don't need to slow down to take those, those turns. But if it's a really tight radius, people, you know, they have to slow down, maybe even close to stop to, to take those turns safely. And those tiny little details can replace something as obnoxious as like a speed bump. Doing tree-lined streets, all of these tiny little things really, really add up. This really fascinates you, me yeah, as you you're saying this, Ryan. Yeah, it's, 
If you're listening right now, raise your right hand if you've ever had to think about turn radiuses or the width of the street as a marketer. <laughs> right? And it's not that you have to. This is a common theme in the show and, and how we work with, with marketers all the time is go beyond just the ads and the clicks and the current problems to understand what it is that makes how your communities are developed different or more unique. Because if you don't know it, how can you communicate it? And in some cases, although you hear a lot that like education of buyers is not what you want to be in the business of, sometimes you don't have a choice. If you, right. you know, prices just keep going up, right? Until I think that's part of the overall uneasiness in the market is builders just keep raising prices. And I think they're, they're like, well, how can people keep paying this? But land keeps costing this much and labor costs. I guess this, this is where prices need to go. And the higher they go, the more education inevitably, and it's got to be the right amount and done the right way, which gets us back to your origin story and kind of what, what you're about, Ryan. So, yeah, you know, Ryan's unique skill, if you haven't already been to the Destination Homes website, you should go there and immediately you're going to realize that you're in a different place. And I say this about a lot of different web development companies, but the particular company that built the destination site isn't known for breaking the mold. And Ryan really brought a lot of himself to that. And so that's going to help you realize really quickly that Ryan is a very design-oriented marketer, which we haven't talked to a lot of those on the show. So that I'm, I'm super excited to, to have you with us. But talk to us about your background professionally, yeah. you know, and how you work kind of day to day there at Destination. Right. Well, I appreciate the compliment. And I'll just say this, it makes up for a lot of the weaknesses that I have to, uh, you know, oh, we're going to talk about those too. <laughs> but anyway, as I mentioned, early 2000s is when Destination Homes got going. And I was just graduating from college and I, I had studied communication and didn't really know what I was going to do. And uh, all of a sudden, I get this opportunity to have this conversation with the owner of Destination Homes, who, as I mentioned, I knew because he was the older brother of my friend. And so I sit down and talk with him, and, and he has this proposal to hire me as a sales agent. And so essentially what that meant was I would get licensed in real estate as I was finishing up my final semester and uh, and then just start selling homes, which... I was super excited at that point just to have a job and it, it was a great <laughs> opportunity to sell. And it seems like as I look back, you know, hindsight 2020, I wasn't a great salesperson. I didn't study sales um, seriously in college. I had never had a sales job before. And I was really just trying my best to, you know, make it so that people wanted to talk to me over the phone or, you know, when they came to visit our, our model home locations. Um, but I, there was a lot of challenges being new in the industry and in sales. And, um, you know, after a couple of months, you know, I'd had some success, but ultimately it just didn't seem like it was panning out as far as the um, frequency that I was selling and what the company needed. And what they did need actually in that point of time, as they grew with buyers, they needed someone to take care of their customers as far as a warranty and all that kind of stuff went. And they needed some help in the drafting department as well. And based on my experience. No kidding. I didn't even know this part of the story. Yeah, this yeah. Is so they, I mean, as a company grows, it just needs help everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah. And I had a lot of experience just tinkering with, you know, a lot of different things. I was good on the computer. I was good with, you know, some creative things. So, you know, I helped out in marketing. 
I had more of a role in customer service, which was probably about 50% of my job. And um, I, I noodled around with some drafting stuff um, long enough to, to basically um, draw the plans for my own personal house. And then my, my attention needed to be elsewhere after that was um, done. When you but, did service, did, were you ever personally threatened? Was I ever personally threatened? Um, not, <laughs> yeah. not to the extent that I was like scared, but um, this was the era where like a, having a personal cell phone was like brand new. So I had this uh-huh. phone and I tell you what, one of the best things that's happened to me is having this customer job, customer service job and having a cell phone introduced to my life at the same time, because it's allowed <laughs> me to get into the habit of turning off my phone when I get home. <laughs> Because I didn't, after hours, it was like, Hey, I'm done. We have an emergency number. They can call that or they can, yep. you know, send us an email um, They have an emergency. But I was able to just put my phone away when I got home from, from my job, but I was able to experience kind of frontline customer service stuff and get to know kind of the leaders in that area, like Carol Smith and, and, you know, people like that, that really, you know, you, you know, the home building industry because of the, the buying process and also the build process. But then there's that whole world of what happens after that was really important for me to know. And, and getting to know the trades allowed me to get to know really the process of how the houses were built and who to go to when there were warranty questions and things. So here I am in this new company wanting to do more and more of the creative stuff, but kind of just needing to help the company along with these other departments as well, which ultimately is helping me just become more well-rounded. And so um, that was my role really for the first five years and everything from a little bit of marketing stuff and working with some agencies at the time that we were doing creative with to um, introducing surveys and stuff like that. Like it, it was everything. I was all over the company. And interestingly enough, in 2000, I think it was 2007, I wasn't looking for another job, but I just happened to go to lunch with uh, a cousin of mine in Salt Lake City, and he worked at an advertising agency. And I had wanted to chat with him about some creative work that we were doing for the, the builder. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, our conversation kind of turned into a job interview, and um, I took it. So I took the job in Salt Lake City wow. for this uh, creative agency and not knowing the future. But, you know, things were really, really hot in the market and we were selling more homes than ever. And the goal at that point, as I mentioned, was kind of take over the the earth with uh, destination homes. <laughs> and, you know, I take this job and and within a year, things turned quite the opposite with the downturn. Yeah. So I missed the entire thing because I was at a different job. And uh, we did work together a little bit, um, both on a freelance basis and, um destination hired the agency that I was with to do some commercial work and stuff like that. So we were still very connected. And, um, anyway, so I spent five years doing agency work and really just becoming more well-rounded and learning the things that I thought I already knew, um, in the creative world, um, just being a, a producer for them there. And after five years was over and the downturn was kind of improving, I get a phone call from the owners of the company saying, Hey, do you know anybody that would be interested in doing a a marketing position here at destination homes? And, um, at that point, uh, at the agency, I I felt like I'd had my fill, um, doing what I was doing. And I wanted to be more of the creative force behind certain projects rather than just being a producer on the staff. And so we sat down and said, I'd like to, I'd like to see how I can help you. Um, if I rehired back on and, uh, 
that's where the conversation went. And here's the interesting thing is that in 2007, you know, I was helping with the marketing, but those marketing efforts really revolved heavily around billboards and yep. um, a whole campaign of billboard creative. Oh yeah. Getting Everyone in Salt Lake loves billboards. I mean, you yeah, guys love your billboards here. out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's really a ton of them. And we were kind of well known in the community for having, I don't want to say edgy billboards, but kind of out of the box thinking billboards, at least we thought so at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, all these that means they looked at them twice before yeah. they <laughs> faded into the background. <laughs> yeah. I'm exactly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we had all these traditional methods that you were focused on. And then fast forward to 2012, the beginning of 2012, when I hired back on and all of a sudden there's this thing called Facebook that people are paying attention to. And there's, you know, the search engines and YouTube and all that kind of stuff had surfaced and marketing changed completely. And at that point, Destination Homes had gotten some things right and gotten some things started. But, you know, we were all just trying to figure it out day to day. And so that was part of my learning curve coming back on is just sure out what to hang on to and, and what to, you know, leave behind. So when I came out to visit you too, the other thing, so just the, the design thinking and, and your design process, I don't know how much of it we can unpack in a brief podcast interview, but your sales centers, for example, and I was already impressed with the visual style and, you know, you have like eight different titles that you would have pop up in your email, things like, <laughs> uh, give, us, yeah. give us an example. Well, the, the emails that I had, for some reason, it, it's gone now. The, the yeah, now it is. It's sad. Outlook, but it did allow you to randomize. And I, I got this idea from some creatives that I was working with in the agency. And I just figured I would bring that with me to the, the new world of home building that I was reentering. But all of the titles that I had were like real things about me. So, you know, one of my titles was like Emmy Award winner or homie or... <laughs> neighbor or so you know something you want like a, that. you want an yeah, emmy i do i i didn't win it by myself we need to but, hear about this you know, that's that's a conversation for a different time but <laughs> anyway, yeah there was about you know 10 to 12 revolving titles that um you know so, so a very creative guy and I couldn't i just couldn't not do it creatively you know i i already am impressed i go out there and we visit one of your model homes and you're like yeah check out this sales center and i was like the what where is this and you're like, this is the sales center. And I just remember you had, and I'm even failing at the time. What, what's the style? Is it art deco? What were those posters that you had in the front? What would you characterize those as? Yeah. So the posters that we created that you're referring to had a lot to do with the education of these fine details about mm-hmm. creating the community. And so it's kind of like a modern art deco look. It was a contact that I'd made when I was working at the agency that I was really impressed with their work. And I just thought, you know, I need to collaborate with someone that can take this really special thing that we have going and just amplify it in a really, really cool way. And so they made this series of, of posters and I was really, really happy to work with them as far as the essence of each one, all of the... <laughs> All of the posters had a different title, all of them related to different times of the year. So we had one for the winter. We had a number of them for the spring. Um, and, and all of them had to do with, you know, basically the benefits of a well-designed community. And so you've got uh, essentially like carolers singing in the street for the 
the winter one you've got. Um, I mean, but these these are just they're gorgeous. This is a slight exaggeration, but if you're familiar at all with Norman Rockwell's series of uh, what's it called, Thanksgiving or the Four On Freedoms, the oh, yeah, so yeah, it talks yeah. about like kind of the same idea of just very iconic, well drawn, but bright and colorful, perfectly matching your brand, and it's it's like any other builder would just have a picture of one old man sitting next to another old man saying, you know, one time we thought about building houses and now we build a lot of them. And yeah. you're conveying detailed and, and small bits of information in a way that going back to the, like the way that you've approached design is not a singular point. And I'm not trying to overhype again, everyone has faults and no one's perfect, but Ryan, you've done an excellent job of overall always kind of asking the one extra question or spending the extra 15 minutes as I sometimes talk about it to add something different, something unique, something very closely connected to the brand in everything that you're doing. Yeah. Well, one thing with those posters too, is we wanted to come at it from the buyer's perspective or the homeowner's perspective, like what, what's their vantage point. And so many times you see a home builder do their advertising and it's all about, well, this is what we do and this is what we think and all that kind of stuff. And I think where there is a place for that, there's, there's nothing that tops that vantage point from maybe the, the child that lives in a house that's looking through, you know, the, the balusters on their front porch at the neighbor mowing the lawn or, you know, just some really unique vantage points that I think that's how we stow away our memories of really, really fun things in our, in our childhood or just our lives. And we wanted to capture that just because that's what people want more of. They want to make more memories about, you know, living in a great community. It's more about that to me than it is about granite countertops or, you know, wood floors. But so, so then the, the front part of this kind of sales experience was completely different, completely unique. And then we walked to the back and you had a sales office off the garage, but the garage was not just a garage. So again, it was just, I was like, where am I? I feel like I'm in like the Disney store at the mall where they always do a good job of like recreating, like I know where I am, but every other builder would try to make this not be a garage. And you're like, no, this is a garage. There's some cool things to look at. There's some interesting things happening here. Yeah. But, but there's a, there's a place off to the side where we write contracts mm -hmm. and you're in a garage. But again, just kind of give everyone a, somewhat of a visual picture of, of some of the things you did there that was a little different. Yeah. So I love hearing that it makes an impact on people, especially those that are kind of in the business. We have done some great sales offices. We've also failed miserably with some of our sales offices just because of logistics and, you know, communities popping up here or, or needs. It's all kind of a jumble, but what you're referring to is what I lovingly call the garage Mahal. And essentially what that meant. <laughs> it even has um, an awesome name. Designer was I, I went to the interior designer and I said, we are going to have a sales office in the garage, but we're going to try something different. And that different is basically to create a space that looks like a garage, but it's like your dream garage. So, you know, the floor is going to be sealed as it would in a garage. You'll have the shelving and maybe even display some of the equipment or storage that you would have in a garage, um, some bikes. 
things of that nature. We'll still use the walls for sales presentation and things like that, but it will very much look like a garage. We'll insulate the garage door. We'll use that surface to do some branding that will kind of look native to the space. So in this particular garage, we used some wood paneling, some weathered wood paneling to just create some texture on some of the walls. And then we implemented that texture also with some of the graphic approach that we did on the garage door. So I'm with you. It's a very comfortable space. Nobody goes back there and says, uh, is this the garage? Like it happened in, in some of our other model homes. Yep. It's, it's really refreshing and cool. And yeah, I think that I think it's a home run is- and feel inspired. Like it gives yep. them ideas for what they want to do in their personal home that they don't usually get in other sales offices. Exactly. You're getting authenticity combined with this idealistic vision that's still attainable. It's not like yeah. you, you know, installed hardwood floors in there. Like, well, yeah, you could do that. Who would want to? It was like, no, if this was a garage, it's still the kind of garage that anyone would want to have. Yeah. As their garage. I think we need a anyway, picture just of lots this of, garage or a video walkthrough. Yeah. If that's a for possible sure. thing. Sure. Yeah, right. I'm trying to visualize it and I think yeah. I get it, but. There's probably others like me that are like, I'm trying to figure this out. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So if design is kind of your language that you speak in or design thinking, um, again, just taking that extra time and, and coming at it from a, from a very s- specific point of view, what's been the, the hardest part about, you kind of hinted at a little bit, but, but what are the, you know, if everyone can't be good at everything, what are the areas that you find at times more challenging? in today's world as a marketer? Oh, that's a, I I love that question. And it kind of brings me to just remembering when we started having conversations, Kevin, and working together, because I was so focused on what things look like, that you kind of let go of some other things that are also very, very important. And you set up some limitations for yourself. Like if I can't create this video and it looks, you know, a hundred percent like an Emmy award winning piece, award, then <laughs> it's not worth even starting. And so there's, there's some pitfalls as far as that goes. And also I, I would even say this and I'll compare it to something that I almost know nothing about, which is fly fishing. But let's say that I'm really, really good at tying flies. They just look amazing. Right. But I don't use the right flies in the right circumstances. It's fine that it's a really amazing looking fly, but if it's not effective and nothing bites it, then I'm still going to be a hungry fisherman, right? And I think um, that's where I was making some huge mistakes. I would want to focus so much on some creative aspects of things and not realize that there was a lot of opportunity to capture leads, which, you know, is a marketer's primary responsibility instead of, you know, just making pretty pictures. But that's my responsibility is to capture leads. And so while creative is an important element of that, if I'm not taking advantage of all of the opportunities to capture leads, whether it's through phone calls or um, different ways that a website works, all that kind of stuff, then I'm not really fulfilling the the highest um, level of my position. And so that's been something that's been kind of a learning curve for me is how do I take what I really, really like as far as creative things, a creative approach or design? And how do I match that with either my own knowledge of, you know, creating a website or just the skills of really, really smart teams of people that do websites or that, you know, capture leads, you know, some of the things that you guys do with uh, do you convert? How do we how do we match our our skills together so that we really, really come up with something that works for the customer and that provides leads to the sales agents. 
that's been something that's been really great to uh, to work with you guys on. And it's not perfect. We're always trying to figure out what's going to work better than what we currently have. But that's why we show up to work every day, right? That's why robots aren't doing our jobs yet. I do remember since since you brought that part up, I remember at the beginning, very early on, I was like, man, Ryan is, he's got all these great skills, but the speed of of getting work done, that was my concern early on. And, and you know, you've, you definitely have figured out how to, whether it's, whether it is lean on partnerships or just, you know, be more self-aware. I mean, yeah. it's, it is incredible, the, the growth that I've seen you have and, and kind of how everything relates to it before. I, I think what, if I had to say another way, um, branding and, and imagery and that stuff at times was kind of the center of the universe there. Mm-hmm. And now it's just one of the, it's like part of the Trinity. It's one of the three very important things that, yeah. that we always have to keep in mind, but it can't limit or, or cause uh, harm to the other two, two major pieces. And it all has to, you know, no, no traffic, no leads, no revenue, no money to do branding with. Exactly. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, you know, we probably all experienced the problems that, um, you know, arise that, you know, kind of sneak up on us sometimes in a creative space, you know, I've, I've experienced, um, you know, kind of being left without one of those trusted partners, if you will. I remember, um, hiring a company to do a series of videos, uh, for us and they did a great job, great, great company. Um, but one of the videos that we did, we, we tried to mimic, um, the uh, vocabulary videos that you'll see. Uh, I can't remember who produces these, but it's basically, you know, a celebrity or whatever sitting down on a stool. Oh, and yeah. These, uh-huh. are the, these are the vocabulary words in my industry of acting or dance or whatever. And they're, they're typically very witty and, and um, they look great, all that kind of stuff. Well, we decided to try that in a, a model home. And so I had the video company come out. They filmed it. Exact, they did exactly what I had told them to do. And then they provided me the video and it was awful, not because of what they did, but the direction that I gave them just didn't translate to anything worth showing anyone else. It was, hmm. it was terribly like embarrassing that we'd spent that time to do something that just wasn't panning out. And so I thought, you know, is there any way that we can make this watchable? And, um, at that point in time, this company, um, was going through some transitions and so they weren't able to help as hands-on as they once were. So, I just got mm-hmm. into Adobe Premiere and said, I got to figure this out and let me see if I can just put some spin on some of these things. And what ended up happening was I just put the video into Premiere and tried to make it as quirky as possible and added just <laughs> really random things that basically what I was trying to do is I wanted to educate people and and not so much the the exact vocabulary words because they weren't necessarily like hard but i wanted to educate people about our personality as a company right. and you want to get to know you is we don't take ourselves we don't take ourselves way way too seriously like we we like to smile we like to laugh and we we like to you know um you know share those moments with our homeowners as well and um, so putting something together that just kind of reflected the personality and all of its quirkiness of the company in these uh, short little videos that we're just dis- discussing, you know, builder topics or builder words uh, was was really quite fun. And just coming up with a series that was shorter than the original cut. So it went from like, 
15 minutes to, I, I did a series of like three different videos, um, that were much easier to watch. And, you know, we put in some extra music and some movie clips and I'm probably violating copyright laws by doing that, but <laughs> having a good time, you know? Um, anyway, it was yeah. really great. And we had one of our sales agents that's not camera shy, get on there. And, and we just, uh, celebrated the banter basically with, with that approach. So again, not, not what I had expected to do, but I was really, really pleased with the result. Um, and also the learning that I was able to enjoy by putting it together. So that's refreshing to hear on, you know, on my end, I view you as like, okay, creative is like your, your strong point. And on my side, I'm like, eh, you know, maybe being creative isn't like the best thing I had to do. But hearing that you, I mean, you didn't quote fail, but like it didn't go as planned. It didn't go as expected. Like it wasn't in your mind. Like this isn't good enough for people to see. Like that happens at all levels of, of skill within either yeah. being creative or technical or, or whatever side of marketing that, that you might lean on. So hearing that I'm like, okay, cool. Like it's okay that it's not going to turn out perfect. Like from the beginning as planned, but then you had the experience to pivot and yeah. fix it and make this make this cool video that I remember this video. It does have personality. It is fun to watch and something as quote boring as the vocabulary of a builder. You go like, oh, right. this is interesting. Now I know and I could trust these people. They're fun and this is exciting. Well, we didn't want to be condescending to people either because, like I said, some of the terms that we're using are pretty straightforward. And, you know, you don't want to produce content that people are turned off by because you're, you're talking to them as if they're, you know, not educated people. And so there's a kind of a tricky balance. But like I said, at the end of the day, it was education about who we were as a company and the personality. And, and that's been something that I've, I've tried to do in some of the content that we produce is, is just think about what does, what does someone want to watch? And, and quite uh -huh. personally, and this isn't a knock on anyone specifically, you know, doing the approach where they, they have someone doing a testimonial talking about carpet or, or their countertop <laughs> or their service. Like, I guess there is a place for that, right? I just don't think it should be in the pole position. It shouldn't be like the, the loudest message, right? As yeah, a, it's a race to the bottom at that point. It's it's almost saying, hey, we know it's a commodity, but our commodity is a little bit better. Let us talk about that. Exactly. And if everyone's doing that, then it's it's really, you know, you're not giving anybody anything to go off of. And really what I I figured we could do with with some other videos is we could just peek into the windows of people that lived into in our communities essentially and just tell their stories. And it's kind of voyeuristic the way that I, I say that. But at the end of the day, like one of the things that we can't provide um, a buyer is neighbors because they just come in organically, right? We can, yeah. we can build really There's nice some rules homes. about that. Yeah, you, you can't <laughs> scare somebody here or there, but you can tell the story of someone that lives in your community. And we didn't want them to say, oh, we love our house because of all these reasons. We just wanted them to say, hey, I'm a filmmaker. And, oh, this is my wife and she is, um, she teaches violin and this is what our life is like. And, and I, when we created those videos, I told the people, I don't want you to mention destination homes at all, because this, this whole video is about your story and the people that watch it will, will benefit from knowing you and say, Hey, I can see myself living in that community. Those are my people. Or, you know, I really like just. The, I, I like the the background because I can see the house that they're living in. That's what I'm looking for. You know, we, we answer the questions that homeowners ask, I guess, in the buying process, but we don't have to be so blatant to say, 
well, we, everything that we um, do is standard or, you know, some of those kitschy phrases that get overused. We just told someone else's story. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what people want. We want to know who's living next door. And we, we like to know kind of the human element behind a lot of things. So Brian also loves market research and learning about your buyers. And I know you've worked with Qualtrics and done a lot of cool uh, things there. Always innovating, always trying new things. We'll have links in the show notes to uh, Destination Run with Ryan, which is a separate um, project that he's worked on. Great designer, great artist, just amazing resource that a lot of you guys should connect with him and and see what he, he's got going on. Uh, Ryan, I want to wrap though with uh, you explaining to everyone about a certain lunchbox <laughs> that you had. Tell, tell us about this lunchbox and kind of how how the lunchbox came to be. So uh, what you're referring to is what I called the snarly lunchbox. And essentially it was born because I needed to learn something that I didn't know about. This was like 2009. I was working at the advertising agency and Twitter had become a thing. And I'm looking at these things called retweets and hashtags, really not understanding the language at all and finding myself in a position where I, I kind of needed to and so what I decided to do was I decided to start a, a Twitter account. I didn't have anything to tweet. I already had a Facebook account and didn't have a ton of things to say on that either. But anyway, I started this Twitter account and I just decided to feature every day that I was at work. I would just say what was in my lunchbox. And at that office, there was a particular place where all the employees or many of the employees would go and eat. We would call it the bistro. And I had a lunchbox that every day I would take the stickers from either the banana or the apple or whatever produce that I had packed in my lunchbox. I'd take the sticker and I would put it on the lunchbox. And over time, as you can imagine, the whole thing just got completely covered. So, you know, I had about 10 years. Multiple layers of stickers. Multiple layers of nasty (laughs) stickers, yeah. So I had all these tweets that were really just this is what's in my lunchbox. And I use that to just kind of understand, you know, how to hashtag things or just reading tweets in my feed and all that kind of stuff. And I guess one of the the greatest memories for this isn't just that it happened, but that it lasted for so long. I I kept the Twitter account going for about 10 years. And then I noticed that I was coming up on uh, two things. I was coming up on 2000 tweets, which that's probably a milestone for, for many people. I was coming up on that milestone and also the lunchbox itself was kind of beginning to fall apart. So I knew (laughs) that I wasn't going to be able to use it forever. And so what I did was I did what any person would do with a faithful lunchbox of 10 years is I, I created a retirement ceremony for it. And I invited everyone at work to come to the retirement ceremony. And we talked about some memorable tweets we had lunch, we live tweeted or live, what did we do? We did a Facebook live or an Instagram live of the final tweet. So the contents of the lunchbox, the very last day. And then I had a big banner printed that had some of the stickers on it. And I had everyone that was in attendance, write Just like your yearbook or whatever, just write about their memories. I had some people, this is interesting too. I had some people that I have never even met in real life that I have only met through the internet that had followed the account and just randomly would comment from time to time. I had them write just like 
special memories of the the lunchbox. And they totally they totally did it. Like it was just a random request for me to say, hey, I'm retiring my lunchbox. Do you have any special words? And they totally did it. They blew me totally out of the water with uh, with their ideas. And it, it was just kind of this it was just this celebration of just doing something quirky, doing something creative. And what that amounts to me is just really celebrating the relationships that are gained along the way, which was awesome. And now I've got a lunchbox that hangs on my wall in my special creative room at my house. And um, inside of it has the banner and some of these memories. And it's just kind of forever sealed. It's so. just to me, it's the perfect encapsulation of using the word quirky, like adding a, a little bit, of not, not taking yourself seriously, some some whimsy, but also just a a creative mind. And, and sometimes people inappropriately think that at do you convert word, we don't think that place has any value. And and that's absolutely, I mean, I'm, I'm a graphic design major myself. And so I, we just want to make sure that it's always part of the solution, not the, the presented as the solution. Yeah. Yep. But there's, there's a common thread in a lot of the really good marketers that, that I've gotten to know over the years of having that, I'm thinking about you, Jack, in American Classic, like you just take everything to that one kind of next level. You're just always pushing, always stretching, trying to think creatively and be different, but not just for different sake, finding a unique aspect to push to a different level. So yeah. Ryan, we're way out of time. Sorry. Uh, we'll get you on again to talk about some of the other cool stuff that's going on, but thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, this has been fun. I appreciate it. And yeah, if you want to chat more, there's, there's always fun stories to share. So Great. Love, to, love to be there. That will do it. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, not TikTok, anything else out there. But that's it. See ya.